Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 218. And every day we just creep a little bit closer to the actual departure from Rivendell. Though, like I said, I actually count last week as the first of our post-Rivendell period. Uh, because when they're getting together and starting to shiver in the cold, getting ready to go off, it's true there are final words yet to be spoken. Um, but... Uh, uh, this, in my mind, is really the beginning of the post-Rivendell uh, uh, section of things. But um, uh, anyway, uh, let's uh, we will jump back into the text because tonight we get um, uh, Boromir's <laughs> latest interruption. <laughs> um, but uh, before, just a couple quick announcements. Uh, first, I wanted to just draw your attention in the uh, uh, in the space program. We've been talking about our space program. Two new things that I wanted to make sure to draw your attention to because they're pretty exciting. Um, that is, we are uh, starting two new languages. Both of them uh, are being offered for the first time coming up in April. Um, but if you are interested in learning ancient Greek or if you are interested in learning Old Norse, um, we are offering both of those now in our space program. And, so, and Old Norse is actually, actually both of them, we're going to offer at both of the different levels. So, of course, within our space program, we offer the opportunity for people who don't know a language at all to be able to learn it, and it's a wonderful place to learn a language because unlike just picking up something like Duolingo or something like that, you get a chance to actually like be in a classroom with other students and with a teacher and, uh, and learning these things together in a supportive community. So um, you can learn Old Norse from scratch. You can learn Ancient Greek from scratch. But also, if you've studied either one of these languages before, and maybe it's been a while, right? You know, maybe you uh, um, uh, maybe you went to seminary at one point and studied Greek, but it's been a while, right? Uh, and you might kind of want to brush up your Greek, or maybe you um, have uh, uh, taken some Old Norse classes before and want to keep your hand in, right? Make sure you don't lose it. I know I don't want to name names, but I know some of our Signum alumni who might be in such a position. Um, and so we have advanced reading courses as well. So within these next couple months, we're going to be beginning, be beginning advanced reading modules. Um, we're going to have a, a series of uh, modules reading the Volsunga Saga in Old Norse, and we're going to have a series of modules. The first one is going to be reading through the Gospel of John in Ancient Greek. So um, we'll be able to... to accommodate folks who already know the language and want to either maintain it or brush it up, um, and also people who want to learn the language from scratch. So both of those things in both of those languages, Old Norse and Ancient Greek, will be starting up in space pretty soon. Uh, so it should be uh, a pretty fun opportunity. The other thing that I wanted to emphasize is our regional moots. We are approaching regional moots again. So if you go to the Signum homepage and you scroll down to our upcoming events, here we are. We have text moot and sunshine moot and myth moot. All three of these are open for registration right now. So if you go to, uh, so text moot uh, is on March 26th, sunshine moot on April 2nd. So those are coming up soon. Uh, and for either one of them, you can either sign up in person, you know, to attend in, uh, physically in person, or you can attend remotely and digitally. 
Um, both of those are open uh, for registration, TextMoot and Sunshine Moot. Um, so yeah, uh, TextMoot uh, is in Austin, and here at, at Winter Park, Florida, is technically the town in which we're going to be uh, in Florida. So um, the uh, theme of Sunshine Moot is the practice of magic. We're going to be talking about magic in Sunshine Moot, and in TextMoot, uh, it is starships, stewards, and storytellers. How imaginary worlds teach us to care for this one. Um, so it's going to be thinking about things like uh, uh, environmental stewardship and um, what we learn about our world from from uh, uh, fantasy and science fiction literature. So uh, both will be a lot of fun. I'm going to be at both, hoping to get a chance to uh, see a lot of people. Um, so looking forward to um, uh, looking forward to connecting with folks again. And of course, MythMoot. MythMoot is going to be happening at the end of June. This is our uh, our big annual conference. That's our, our, our full four-day conference. Sunshine Moot and Text Moot are both uh, short, uh, inexpensive conferences, just the one day uh, on, on the Saturday there, March 26th and April 2nd. Uh, and I am uh, uh, excited to be able to see folks and connect with folks again. It's been a while. It's been since the beginning of November uh, since we've had a regional moot, so I'm excited uh, to get back into those again. Um, I would also say, I mentioned it uh, in the past before, we're still working to get together, especially we would love to do an Ohio moot. We'd love to do Buckeye moot. I want Buckeye moot to happen this year. Um, if you would be interested in helping us to organize that, it's not a big burden. It's not a huge responsibility. What we just mostly need is boots on the ground uh, in Ohio to find a location and uh, sort out some of those details. Uh, so if you'd be interested, I know we have a bunch of Ohio people, actually. Um, so if you would be interested in helping uh, to pull that together, um, again, there's, we, have, we have a whole thing. Uh, we have uh, a dedicated team who is working on the regional moots. It's, it wouldn't be, uh, you would just be, again, you'd be boots on the ground uh, helping to, to, to work through some stuff, but we'd be coordinating all the, all the heavy lifting. So uh, just, and you wouldn't be, you're not, re if p organizers are not responsible for the digital side, we take care of the, the uh, digital side and all the tech and stuff like that. So moot, uh, moot hosting, moot organization is pretty simple, really. Um, but we just want to encourage folks uh, to uh, get involved because that's what enables us to be able to uh, go to different places and, and do these uh, these other moots. So, um, uh, yeah, we do have a moot in a box, uh, uh, Matt. That's exactly it's exactly w what we do. Um, so anyway, uh, just let us know. Send, send an email to info at signumuniversity.org uh, and uh, just let us know um, if or sorry info at signumu.org uh, and uh, uh, let us know if you would be interested uh, in that. Um, date range, well, Marhas, we're, that's one of the things to be determined, right? So if you would like to guarantee <laughs> that Buckeye Moot is at a time that's going to be convenient for you, that, well, no better way than to uh, be involved and uh, help us find a location at the time, at the uh, weekend of your convenience. But we're basically, uh, essentially, thinking about um, April or May basically is, is what we in late April, early May uh, is uh, is uh, around the time that we're kind of thinking probably May at this point. Um, so that's the that's the range. But if we we can still get that together, but we'll have to uh, seal something up soonish. So that's why I'm just calling to see if uh, anybody would be uh, would be interested in that. Um, all right. So that is the announcements for today. Let's get into the text here. 
Uh, let's see, hang on a second. I gotta, there we go. Got my windows all messed up here. Gotta make sure I can see, folks. There we are. All right. Um, so, Boromir's horn. This is another wonderful example of a passage that until I put it on a slide, I felt like I'd never read it. Now, it's not quite true. There are some that, um, there are some passages which really make me feel like that, you know, give me that, like, I have no memory of this place kind of feeling, um, you know, where I feel like I've skipped over that paragraph every single time I've read this book my entire life. That's not the case with this. I remember the incident of Boromir blowing his horn. Um, but, so it's not quite in that category, but it is in the category of uh, ones where that make me think, you know, I just really never thought through the implications of this before. Um, I'd always kind of taken it for granted. So let's, uh, so we did the first bit, uh, but let's read through the whole slide uh, and then we'll uh, kind of pick up where we left off. The company took little gear of war, for their hope was in secrecy, not in battle. Aragorn had Andural, but no other weapon, and he went forth clad only in rusty green and brown as a ranger of the wilderness. Boromir had a long sword, in fashion like Andural, but of less lineage, and he bore also a shield and his warhorn. Loud and clear it sounds in the valleys of the hills, he said, and then let all the foes of Gondor flee. Putting it to his lips, he blew a blast, and the echoes leapt from rock to rock, and all that heard that voice in Rivendell sprang to their feet. Slow should you be to wind that horn again, Boromir, said Elrond, until you stand once more on the borders of your land, and dire need is on you. Maybe, said Boromir, but always I have let my horn cry at setting forth, and though hereafter we may walk in the shadows, I will not go forth as a thief in the night. Okay, okay, so um, Boromir interrupts, and Elrond uh, 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 strikes back with prophecy, right? Retaliates with prophecy uh, there, at least something that... Uh, sounds at first like advice, but seems to slide into prophecy uh, before uh, uh, his sentence was over. Um, and then, of course, we get Boromir gets the last word there. Um, now, we talked last time about Aragorn, especially, uh, and we spent a lot of time talking about as a ranger of the wilderness, right? He's in his scruffy clothes again. Um and uh, I think I agree. People were saying that rusty green. Uh, when they think about rusty green, this is almost certainly not like a nice Robin Hood Lincoln green that he's wearing, uh, but almost certainly some kind of like dull drab, uh, like dark olive green, essentially uh, brownish green, right? Um, okay. Um, he had Andural, but no other weapon. He always. As far as we could see, had in now. I wonder, does this mean that he never had any other weapon but Andoral? In which case, he was in fact weaponless, apart from a broken sword. I remember. I think it was Tony who was so annoyed about that <laughs> in the Init Bree uh, when we were discussing the Init Bree and how like Aragorn goes around with like no primary weapon because he's carrying the sword that was broken in the scabbard at his hip, um, and uh, we don't know of course, that he had no other weapon at all before, but we're told that he now has no other weapon. Um, and to me, the significance of that, um, first of all, are we even... I, I don't even think 
this passage necessarily compels us to draw a conclusion like Aragorn is strictly against belt knives, right? Or dagger. Like he has no dagger or anything. Maybe he does have a dagger. I, that's not what matters. What matters is he had Andoral but no other weapon. Like his, he is going forth. Like it is at the very least like symbolically important that Andoral is the, is the thing he's resting on. He doesn't have like a big secondary weapon. He's not carrying a bow. He's not carrying, you know, like also an axe or something like that. Um, yeah, JJ, I also would think that a dagger, a knife, and the belt is a tool, not a weapon, very likely. Um, the point is that like, his reliance upon Endural, and remember what that means. Aragorn had Endural, but no other weapon. Remember what it means to have Endural, to have the sword of Elendil. Um, what it means for the sword of Elendil to go forth to war. Um, uh, we will see that have a really interesting effect on people, right, in the future um, when he gets to places where there are people. Um, but in the short term, from the council, we recall the significance of that, right? Going, following in the footsteps of Elendil does not mean a march to glory and the ascension of the throne. Following in the footsteps of Elendil means going forth self-sacrificially to die as Elendil died fighting the foe face to face. Um, and remember, Elendil went <clears throat> not to seek his place, right? Not to seek it, but he went to leave it behind, right? His throne, Elendil's throne, was in the north, right? Was in Anuminus. Um, and he left his kingdom and his people behind in order to go uh, to war with Mordor. So Aragorn, on the one hand, is headed to Minas Tirith, right? Is head and this is a big moment. We know that this is uh, a, a, an enormous moment for Aragorn, right? Stepping out, having, you know, been revealed in the council, having declared himself, I shall come to Minas Tirith, right? It's a big deal, and that's what he's doing. That's, you know, we talked about that. That's where he... Um, that's where he's headed. He's not on the quest for the ring. That's not what he's here for, right? He is on his way to Minas Tirith um, with Boromir. Um, but again, I think not to claim the throne. That's not the goal, right? The goal is he is out to oppose Sauron. He is off to fight the enemy. Um, why is he going to Minas Tirith? Because he believes he was summoned to Minas Tirith by the dream. Right? Seek for the sword that was broken. He's got his marching orders. right? And his marching orders are coming from a supernatural place. right? Um, he's not on the quest of the ring. But anyway, I think, therefore, just the emphasis he had in Dural but no other weapon really reminds us. right? Reminds us of all of these things in one short sentence. This is the sword of the king. Um, not going, but not the king going to seize his throne. Um, but also, like, this is, this, he's, Ar Aragorn's all about this, right? This is, uh, uh, this is his focus, um, taking up the king. But of course, the restoration of the king, it's not Narsil anymore. It's Andoral now, Flame of the West. Um, so that idea of, like, the rebirth and reconstruction is there, right? We are reminded of that as well. Um, uh, you know, he is the, 
the the you know we we are remembering back to Elendo and we are uh, thinking forward to you know him claiming the kingship, um, but um, but that's not his primary uh, his primary mission. But remember, quest for the ring is not his mission at all. Uh, now. He'll be along for most of the road, right? As Minas Tirith is uh, next door to Mordor, so they'll be going in the same direction for a long period of time. But that is primarily, and in a sense, a coincidence. It's not a pure coincidence, right? Like, wow, what are the odds that, like, the, you know, Minas Tirith, where I'm headed, happens to be right next door to where you're headed? Like, that's not a coincidence, because where he's headed is, like, the ancient enemy of uh, Mordor, set up purposefully on his doorstep to defy him. So it's not a coincidence. Um, but again, they're not, um, uh, they're not, they're not going together. He's not, uh, he's not on there. He's not on, on the quest. And yeah, Dolor Stroke says he has no backup weapon. There's, there's, there's no, there's no backup plan. Yeah. Um, uh, Dolor Stroke, if, uh, if, if Anduril were to fail him, um, he would die as Elendil did when Narsil failed him, right? Um, yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's what he's, uh, that's what he's in this for. That's what Aragorn is, is, uh, is, is in this for here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Um, okay, let's see. Um, Boromir has a, has a sword, a long sword. In fashion like Endural, but of less lineage, and he bore also a shield and his war horn. Um, so, what does this tell us? Boromir, uh, the first thing we get is a, the similarity, right? The first emphasis with Boromir. First of all, it's interesting that we go with Boromir next, right? Um, the company took little gear of war. This is a new subject, right? We're sort of starting at the top. That we're starting with Aragorn doesn't seem surprising, right? Um, it doesn't seem to need explanation. That we transition right from Aragorn to Boromir is a little bit less certain, right? Why exactly do we do that? Well, it seems to be because of the... Like, we're going to describe the armaments of Gandalf also, but we're not going to get to that until, like, the bottom of the next slide. Um, so, uh, the, it's... He doesn't seem to be describing them in something like rank order. You think Gandalf would come first, right? Then that he would be first and foremost, but he's not. Maybe we're saving him until the end and doing Aragorn first. That would make sense too. But in any case, putting Boromir second is uh, is interesting, and it does seem to be suggested uh, by the uh, the similarities, the connections to Aragorn. Here's Aragorn, and here's Boromir, who is like him in some ways, but not exactly the same. Um, he had a long sword in fashion like Enduro, but of less lineage. What do you think in fashion like Enduro means? I'm not really sure about that. I could imagine it in two different senses. On the one hand, it could mean, it could be referring to style, like uh, the kind of sword it was, of similar length, Right, the uh, the the sort of the the the, the hilts are, are you know like are 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 sort of done similarly, uh, similar uh, like sort of shape of blade and things like that. Um, I mean, there are lots of ways to make swords, right? It could be a one-edged sword, it could be a two-edged sword, it could be uh, you know thinner, 
blade, thicker blade. There are all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, that is narrower blade, wider blade. There could be all kinds of uh, options here. Um, but in fashion like Andoral could also mean more um, stylistic, right? Like they look like they were made similarly, right? Um, would be another way to uh, um, to talk about that. Do, 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 do you see what I mean? Like um, of similar craftsmanship. Um, it might be a reference to like he had a long sword in fashion like Andoral. You know, like it's like shaped like Andoral. Like they're, you know, very similar kinds of swords. But is the... Um, you know, the, the, like, artistically speaking, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, the sword from the same culture, like, could you tell from looking at them? Um, but of less lineage. Okay, I mean, yeah, sh presumably, right, as Narsil has a very long lineage, right? I mean, we know that Narsil uh, is at least at least um, 3,000 years old, but we know it's longer than that, right? Um, and Drosnik, as you point out, presumably it has some lineage, but Silk Westgate, that's exactly the question that I had. Um, can you see? Like, it, this appears, it would be, appear to be a, vis a visual description, right? Um, I mean, yeah, we didn't, do we need to be told that Boromir's sword is not, sword is not as old as Aragorn? I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the shards of Narsil, right, the sword of Elendil is a super big deal. Um, of course Boromir doesn't have a sword that's as big a deal as the sword of Elendil, right? I mean, it, nobody would possibly have assumed that, right? Um... You know, or else, uh, you know, the response to, uh, you know, receiving the dream would have been like, we've already got one, right? I mean, so, uh, yeah. Um, I don't... What I'm saying is, I don't feel like we're being given information there, right? We, we Without being told, we know Boromir's sword must be of less lineage uh, to some degree. Even if it's like merely a thousand years old. Um, it's going to be of way less lineage uh, than Aragorn's. Um, but, um, uh, but this seems to be part of its visual description. Boromir had a long sword in fashion like Andoral, but of less lineage. And he bore also a shield in his warhorn. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out exactly what that phrase, but of less lineage is designed to convey to us. Can you tell? Could you tell by looking? I mean, if you weren't at the council, right? So, like, you're just like a random folk, like you put somebody... Okay. I was about to say, like, you ask Butterbur, but maybe Butterbur is a bad example. Um, you take um, Hama, Right? Let's get Hama from Rohan and 
you take Eric, you take Anduro, and you take Boromir's sword, and Hama knows swords, right? I mean, this is like his job. Um, so Hama the door ward looks at these two swords, and Hama's going to say, oh yeah, uh, this one's like that one, but it's of, uh, it's of less lineage. He going to be able to tell? You going to be able to tell the lineage in that sense? Like, be able to see? Um, be able to see? The, uh, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to figure out if this is meant to be, if I'm supposed to picture, is it plainer in some way? Does, is, is that what is conveyed here? Remember, we were given... It's still too soon to talk about Hava? <laughs> How long do we have to wait? <laughs> I mean, and first of all, from another perspective, he's not even dead yet, right? If we can't talk about him now, when can we talk about him? Um, but, um, I mean, on this reading, and uh, think about it this way. Um, think about this way. Uh, we... Um, uh, he has a long life. He still has a long and rich life to live before we get there. Um, so, uh, so there we go. Um, Bjarna Sonar, I agree that I also could imagine the craftsmanship being noticeably lesser, if uh, if not bad. Right? Again, it, I don't. I don't expect Boromir's sword looks like a crappy sword. Right? I don't think that's the point at all. Um, uh, elf runes, yeah, no elf runes. I, that I think would be very um, would be very likely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, remember, we got that description. Hang on a second. Let me let me go. I got it. I got to go. I I saved them. Do I still have it here? Uh huh. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Found it. Okay. On its blade was traced a device of seven stars set between the crescent moon and the rayed sun, and about them was written many runes. Very bright was that sword. The light of the sun showed readily in it. Its edge was hard and keen. Okay, this is all about the blade. She is... We shouldn't see any of that. Right? Um. Yeah. Yeah, this doesn't say anything about the hilts or any kind of decorations there, but um, I... Yeah, okay. Um, all right, going back up here. Huh? Um, yeah, so we don't know for sure that it has runes, for instance, um, Evil Dr. Cannon, as you were suggesting, on, uh, uh, on Endural... Not that I would be surprised. Um, Aragorn is not carrying it unsheathed just to show off JJ yet. He'll get there, right? That will happen eventually. Um, but um, not yet. Not yet. Um, yeah, Fourth Dauntless, I was thinking that same thing too. Um, Narsil was forged by dwarves. Now, probably not for their own use. Um, uh, it seems very likely to have been a gift um, that is intended as a gift. Uh, however, uh, I, I'm just saying that on account of that it came down <laughs> to, to Elendil eventually, right? Um, had it been a dwarf sword, like, made 
for a dwarf to wield, uh, it is less likely by far it would have ended up in the hands of Numenorians in the first place, right? Um, so that doesn't necessarily, it might be, but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it looked like, but I do agree this, the significance of that. I was thinking about that too. Um, when I was thinking about that phrase in fashion, like Enduro, um, it's hard to imagine that it would be stylistically again, not, not in shape, right? I don't mean in like, uh, you know, like D and D weapon class. I mean, in artistic style, um, that artistically it would be similar to Enduro because Enduro is made by dwarves and Boromir is Boromir's sword whatsoever be its lineage must have been made in Gondor right I mean unless there's some kind of very peculiar story which we never hear or have hinted to us about Boromir's sword it is presumably a Gondorian sword made by Gondorian smiths even if perhaps awesome Gondorian smiths of a thousand years ago um, and a sword that has been handed down in the family of the stewards than which what could be more likely but um, I Nevertheless, it would still be a Gondorian sword, whereas Anduril is definitely not a Gondorian sword. Um, it was made by dwarves, possibly dwarves, probably for elves, then handed down to Numenorians, then uh, lying broken for a long time and remade by elves again just now, right? Um, now, JJ, it is possible. It is possible, and I was kind of thinking of that, that they were actually intending to um, maybe Gondorians, the, the aforementioned Gondorian smiths, um, have been deliberately imitating Narsil. They probably remember. I bet you they have, like, drawings, right? They probably, they may remember what Narsil looked like. Um, and therefore, it has been an inspiration and, you know, all the coolest swords in Gondor have been made to look vaguely like Enduro. I mean, excuse me, like Narsil. Uh, for um, uh, for thousands of years, it's conceivable that that um, that that happened, um, but I still um, I still think that that's I think it's unlikely. I think it's unlikely, mostly because would they really have had sketches of it? I mean, it's been out of circulation for three thousand years. Three thousand years—that's a very long time, right? Um, the only way that they could do that is if there were a very detailed and realistic statue of Elendil modeled from his actual sword um, at the time, like, you know, before his death, presumably, um, because the shards of Narsil were taken away and brought to Rivendell very early, right? Uh, very early on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's conceivable it's I mean, we know there are statues, but we don't know that they are statues made in Elendil's lifetime, right? Um, there are statues in Minas Tirith made in honor of Elendil, but I don't know that they necessarily are, like, accurately depicting his actual sword. Uh, maybe. Maybe. It's possible. Um, uh, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um,
Almeria, that will be an interesting thing to watch. Almeria is asking, do people know the sword when they see it? Um, does Aragorn announce it each time? Well, he does announce it um, on a couple of occasions, right? Um, let's let's watch that. Let's let's keep an. I mean, uh, uh, seeing how people respond to Aragorn's sword is going to be interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. And Anna, what an excellent question that I was thinking about as well. When a sword is reforged, how much does it look like the original? Well, I don't know. The blade is presumably entirely new, right? Um, I mean, the blade is, uh, I mean, not new, it reforged with the same metal and such. But, you know, you don't just, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't know anything about bladesmithing. So let me just start off by saying that. But I'm pretty sure you don't do it like they did in the movie, right? Remember in the movie, they like heat it up and then they put the pieces next to each other and like band-aid them together. I'm pretty sure it doesn't work that way. Like you'd need a lot of Gorilla Glue. Um, uh, pretty sure that would not work, right? I mean, visually it worked really well in the film, right? To sort of show like we are showing the the shards of the sword being reassembled so that like you totally know without us having to explain it with exposition that this is the sword reforged, right? Like that, that was effective in the film. But I think from a bladesmithing perspective, you don't, I don't think you do that, right? Um, uh, I think you, yeah, exactly. Uh, Tom, I have always been under the, un the understanding that you have to, melt it the whole all of the shards down and uh and uh, and make it again um uh which would of course make sense of all of that attention drawn to the blade right remember that description that the uh the initial description of all the runes and images and things on the blade um and the effect of the blade right like the 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 fire and 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 ice and all that stuff remember with the blade um because it's the blade that's new, right? It's the same metal, new blade, uh, same hilt. Um, so, yeah, but... So if they're totally redoing the hilt, or sorry, the blade from scratch, they could presumably change the style of it. I don't think they would. I think they'd make it... Fit. I mean, you wouldn't want like a, you know, like a a broadsword hilt with like a katana blade or something like that, right? Like they probably keep the blade the same kind of style as was original, but um, um, but certainly when it's sheathed as it certainly is in this description, um, as is also presumably Boromir's sword, um, you're just gonna see the old hilt, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, all right. Yeah. I, how important was the skill of the smiths of Rivendell and the reforging blood? Very, I think. Very. Um, but um, remember, Rivendell is the center now in Middle Earth of the last of the Noldor. There are a couple, like Galadriel, right? She's an outlier in so many ways. Um, but um, there are 
there are Noldor, like Gildor, right? Um, there are Noldor uh, high elves who are in Rivendell. So I'm thinking there's some pretty qualified smiths there. Um, uh, yeah, agreed. The, the Noldor got this, I think, is exactly right, Jackie. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Um, I agree uh, that they know what they're doing. Um, I don't think they would have needed help uh, from dwarves. I think the I think the, I think the Noldor took care of that. But anyway, um, <laughs> though you'd wonder if Gimli and Golan would want to supervise. Um, I doubt they have too much invested in it, though. I mean, even if it's known to them as I wouldn't be surprised if it were uh, that the sword was originally made by dwarves. Um, I don't. I, I doubt they have too much of a proprietary investment in uh, in the sword. Um, but um, anyway, I I think there are a few things we can take from that entire phrase in fashion like Andural, but of less lineage. On the whole, I guess, I think it looks, it's probably newer in style, right? Like, again, if we did my theoretical thought experiment and had Hama look at them, he would probably be able to tell. Boromir's looks like a modern Gondorian, so like, I mean, again, defining modern in the sense in which Gondor would, um, but it looks like other Gondorian blades he would have seen, whereas um, although it was a similar style, uh, it Andura would look different, right? He would be able to tell, like, that's that's not the same, right? That's That does not look like, look just like any Gondorian sword I've seen before, right? And yet, it is in fashion like Andura, and I suspect that fashion does probably mean primarily the shape, like they're both broadswords of a similar, uh, a similar size of a similar kind, um, and that it seems to me, JJ, coming back to your suggestion from before. Although I will be, I would be surprised if an exact like design replica of Narsil were still in circulation, you know, in Gondor. Um, I'd be a little surprised if that were the case. If they knew exact, if like they could recognize it by the hilts, right, uh, or something like you know. Somebody were just to come across it lying in the street and be like, "Dude, it's the hilt of Narsil, right?" Whoa! Like, I, 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 I doubt it. I doubt it. But, um, uh, that it was known the kind of sword Elendil like. Uh, so, like for for instance, like I, I, I'm not saying that I think that Andural was a katana. It wasn't. But like, let's imagine it were for a second, right? Had Elendil's sword been shaped like a katana, then probably Gondorians to this day would be wearing katanas, right? I mean, that, that, that's what I mean, right? Like that, um, that I can easily say that um, Elendil's sword sort of was a trendsetter and that trend has remained. Like that's never gone out of fashion uh, in Gondor. Um, and so probably... Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, probably, in fashion like Enduro, does mean that, 
that in shape and style and maybe even things in like how the um how the 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 cross guards are done and things like that it might be it might be similar um and that could well be a tradition that dates back to memories of the sword of elendo which was certainly even at the time even before it became associated with mythical antiquity quasi mythical antiquity in gondor um even at the time when Elendo was alive, it was a famous sword. It was a famous and ancient sword at the time of Elendo. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Well, right, okay, I do hear you there, Fourth Dauntless, but see, okay, but I have a counter-argument. So Fourth Dauntless is saying, um, Gondorian craft has a direct line from Numenorian, and Narsil was not the most famous of Numenorian swords. That's true. Um, Narsil was the second best sword uh, in... Numenor, the first best sword was Aranruth, the sword of the king, which had been the sword of Thingol of Doriath before that. Um, so the sword that Arpharazon was carrying on his hip uh, when he was swallowed up by the ground of Valinor, um, and which presumably is still on the hip of Arpharazon, um, being held in wherever it is exactly that he is being held. Um, agreed. That was, in a sense, the number one sword of Numenor, and Narsil was at best the number two sword of Numenor. But here's my counter. My counter-argument to that is, yeah, but Narsil was Elendil's sword, right? Um, was the sword of the faithful. Um, would the faithful and the descendants of the faithful in Gondor have been replicating the sword of Arpharazon or the Sword of Elendil, especially since Elendil does become a figure of mythical importance um, because of his death in battle with Sauron very early on uh, in the Gondorian story. Um, he's not just the leader of the exiles who brought the Numenorians safely out of Numenor and back to Middle-earth, but then who gives his life in the overthrow of Sauron, their great enemy. I'm thinking Narsil, like, is the trendsetter, at least from that point. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some memories of Ruth extant, you know, in um, uh, Gondorian weapon styles, but... I would expect that uh, if you asked a, you know, first century, third age Gondorian swordsmith, right? Um, so uh, you're going to do the Narso or you're going to do the Aran Ruth? I think that he would say to you, please, please, what do you think? Right? Um, that would be my, that would be my argument. Um uh, <laughs> Dan, I like that. Dan says, uh, uh, I like to think that in the Dagor Dagoroth, Thingol and Arpharazon fight on opposite sides and Thingol kills him and takes his sword back. <laughs> I would totally include that incident if I were depicting the Dagor Dagoroth. Um, not that I, I expect ever to be doing so. Um, yeah. Now, the Black Norm Numenorians probably do remember Ray Burns and see there I could see uh, that passed down in the Black Numenorean tradition 
Um, I would not be at all surprised to find like uh, some Haradrim swords which might still, of great lineage, um, which might still recall uh, the sword of the great king. Um, yeah. Uh, JJ, no, some film won't get there in 50 years or so. Uh, we have no plans to do the Dagor Daggeroth. Um, uh, the Silm film plan from the beginning has been to end with Sam getting on the boat. Sam getting on the boat is the end of Silm film. Um, that's, uh, that's the plan. That's the plan. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So... I guess that's, um, I don't think we can be more certain than that, but I think it must be stylistically similar. Anyway, okay. But he also has a shield and a war horn. Um, what do we make of that? So again, notice what we're getting here. In this first paragraph, we can see what we're not getting in these paragraphs is physical descriptions of these characters, right? We don't, we don't know. So much we don't know about what these people look like. Um, it sounds like we might be getting something like that when we're told about the style and color of Aragorn's clothing, right? That seems promising. Um, but then he immediately drops off, right? He's not giving us, he's not just describing people. He's telling us the things that are important to know about them. The things that tell us something about that character and about their role in the company and about their um, kind of like worldview and attitude towards life and things like that, right? Um, we're being told about their identity. Mad Violinist, I think, is a good way to say it. Um, uh, not just, it's not just a, a piece of physical description, right? So Aragorn's rusty green and brown is important because it is telling us how he is going forth as a ranger of the wilderness. He is not, he could, but he's not going, we know he has fancy gear, right? He could go forth as an elven prince. Why, why not, right? Cat's out of the bag, Aragorn. No more secrets. Time to, you know, own it, right? Time to bling up, Aragorn. He could absolutely do that, right? That is an option. He does not do that. That tells us something about him. Right, that tells us, I think, something important, that when he sets out, he is, chooses not just to dress down, but to dress way down. Right? He chooses to dress rascally uh, when, he, when he goes out. Um, so, again, I think that tells us something about him, um, and something important. And then, of course, Andural tells us something important about him. Boromir, these three things tell us something about him. Right? His sword, his shield, and his war horn. Um, Yes, he's going for Aragorn is going forth with significant humility. Bjarnasoner is exactly one of the things I think that we I think that we see. Um, uh, yes, yes. Um, Boromir has defensive gear. Aragorn has none. I think that's interesting. Almeria. Yeah, yeah. Um, does this mean that Aragorn does not have the shield proficiency? I get no. I think that's thinking differently, right? Um, remember, this is how Boromir traveled here, right? When Boromir sets out on his, when he leaves Minas Tirith, and he's like, I've got a journey of, oh, I don't know, 110 days, give or take, uh, to Imladris in the north, and I don't really know where I'm going. I need to be appropriately prepared, and appropriately prepared to him meant sword, 
shield, and war horn. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, do we know that this is a shield Boromir brought with him from Gondor? Blah, the Inspirer asks. I, it doesn't say explicitly. He bore also a shield in his war horn. Um, I assume that, and I feel safe assuming that. Um, shields are... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Vardendil. Good call. A fustian he weared a jipon, all besmothered with his habergion. Uh, quoting from the knight's description in the general prologue of the Canterbury Tales. Well played, yeah. Um, Aragorn is besmothered. Um, the knight looks rather disreputable uh, on his journey to Canterbury uh, in the Canterbury Tales. And so does, uh, so does, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I, I wouldn't go so far as rascally with Chaucer's knight, but, uh, but he's uh, not exactly uh, dressing up. Uh, for his uh, for his thing. Um, now, Evil Dr. Cannon is saying, it does say a shield, and then it says his warhorn. Um, but yeah, core kick, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, yes, you don't carry, and just as Fourth Dauntless said, you don't carry a shield with someone else's device on it if you're the heir of a great house. Remember, it's going to be a big deal. Remember what a big deal it is when Gimli gets a shield in Rohan, right? Um, he makes a big deal about bearing Aemir's device, right? Um, he feels that honor has been done to him by Aemir, and that, you know, he is sort of showing respect uh, for them as well. It's, um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, I cannot imagine that Boromir set out from Minas Tirith without a shield, but then when he's leaving Rivendell, he's like, hey, anybody have like a shield or something I could have? Like, no. No, I don't think so. I don't. He would, a shield that he wore, and by the way, I cannot imagine that he wore a shield that looked like the shield he had in the movie. That always kind of bothered me a little bit. Like, no, no sign on it. No heraldry on that shield at all. Um, like, Boromir is the is the heir of the steward. Like, he's the heir of the lord of the city. He's not going to have a plain old generic shield. Um, uh, did he lose his shield at Tharbad? Not as far as we know. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he lost his horse, but um, yeah, Hathalas, you're exactly right. Um Aragorn's a kingly line that's been sitting in the periphery of time and place. Boromir's a noble line that's been proudly on display. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mr. Bigga suggests that Boromir's shield would have a picture of Boromir on it. Not as bad as that, I think. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I... Why would... I don't think he would ever have had any motivation to be incognito? Was he was he keeping a low profile before? I think not. And in fact, I think the passage that we are working towards getting to shows that he... Bormir doesn't do incognito. He's about to explain that he doesn't do incognito, right? 
Um, he's going to do incognito partially and under protest, right? So yeah, I think that he, um, I think that he has his shield with the symbol of his house on it. I think he's got the Gondorian tree on his shield. Like you're going to know from looking at him that he is a Lord of Gondor. Um, I, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Boromir's visibility is a huge part of his identity. Um, I think that that's one of the things that's being emphasized. I think is why he bore also a shield. Um, and again, why we're pairing Aragorn and Boromir here in this first paragraph, right? The two of them, very different perspectives. Boromir is dressing up, Aragorn is dressing down. Um, in a sense, right? Especially as far as claimants for the throne. I mean, in fact, look at them. They look like the picture of what they are, like the contrast between them, of like of what they are. He looks like a rascally ranger, right? In rusty green and brown. Um, but if you look carefully, you'll notice that his sword, whoa, like that sword looks like 7,000 years old or something, right? I mean, it's it, it looks like you would, if you knew anything about swords, you'd look two or three times at his sword before you looked on, before you looked away, right? Um, but the rest of him, nothing much to see, apart from the fact that he's really tall. Um, uh, yeah, Evil Dr. Cannon, you might think that his sword looks stolen based on his looks, right? Like, what is that scruffy dude uh, got a sword like that for? Um, and, uh, and then there's Boromir, right? He also has a sword, similar, you know, you look carefully, clearly not as good, but it's similar, you know, um, and he's got a shield, uh, which almost certainly has a heraldic device on it, and he's got his warhorn, which is um, certainly a big deal to him, um, one of the symbols of his house, right? One of the symbols and traditions of his house. Um, and again, if you think about it, the shield would have the... Um, uh, his shield would be for Gondor, right? The horn is for his, is his, that's his, that's for his house, right? That tells you who he is. So if you know anything, I mean, if you're at all familiar with the customs of Gondor, um, that is to say, if you're not some hick, uh, I mean, everybody's anybody knows about the customs of Gondor, obviously, just ask Boromir. Um, you'd not only know what he is by looking at him, you'd know who he is, right? He's wearing the horn. Only the heir of the steward has that horn, right? I mean, come on, like a, a Gondorian child of five could pick him up, you know, could pick him out uh, and be like, look, it's Lord Boromir. He's got the horn. Um, so, oh, hang on. Look, oh, goodness. We're not ready for the next slide yet. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, that I think evil Dr. Cannon is why we have the, um, the a shield and his warhorn. Um, the warhorn is personal. It's personal. Um, and proclaims his identity, proclaims his identity. Um, and he's awfully proud of it. Um, look at the transition. Oh, wait, hang on. So one other thing. Another 
shield thing that I can't get away from. He's, um... Uh... He's... Armed like a warrior. That seems like a simple thing to say, but again, Aragorn is not. You would not usually go into battle, and this is actually something I thought they did they did well, and picking up on the book, right? When, when they're going to go to war, that is, when they're marching to Helm's Deep, so between Rivendell and Edoras, Aragorn is dressed like this. Rusty green and brown as a ranger of the wilderness, right? But when they get to Edoras and they're going to go to war with the king, they're riding out to battle, they suit up. Right? Aragorn does not wear rusty green and brown as a ranger of the wilderness into battle. Right? Um, he suits up. Um, and uh, we get that, the sort of arming sequence, right? That which was where that passage about Gimli and the shield comes from that I was talking about. Um, Boromir, we're not, we're, he's not wearing armor because that's really impractical for a journey. But, you know, shields are a little impractical on a journey too. Quite actually impractical on a journey. Um, Eric is a, <laughs> there are other reasons why. Shields are clunky. It's true, maybe less so on horseback. Yes, it's possible. You don't have to carry it on your arm the whole time. Um, but I don't know, I mean, like we have this idea of, um, you know, dudes on horseback always having shields. But that's because we've been trained by medieval stories of knights jousting with lances, right? Uh, and if you're going to be doing that, then y you need it. You know, so like Mallory's knights always have shields when they go about um, because you never know when you're going to uh, uh, encounter another knight uh, and, uh, you know, joust with them. So, um, yeah, you need your shield for that. Um, but that's not the world that we're in. Nobody does that uh, in uh, in Middle Earth. Um, but um, but yeah, Andrew, I agree. It seems to me the shield seems to me much more about proclamation of identity, but also about um, he is he is more prepared for battle. He is going forth as a war. He's, he's, he's prepared, right? He can't go in armor. That's impractical. Um, but uh, you, I mean, impractical for almost everybody, except dwarves, apparently. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. But you, he is ready, if need be, to, you know, cut his way through enemies in order to get uh, to Rivendell. It's clear that combat is one of the things that he's fully prepared for. Right? Um, you just don't... Aragorn doesn't need a shield. He knows he doesn't need a shield. He's not going to have a shield. Um, but, um, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, the shield is a compromise between a long journey and pitched battle. Yes, but leaning towards the pitched battle side. Uh, would be would be my argument. Um, uh, Kendall says, for all we know, he had three other shields on his lost horse. Yeah, it's, it's 
he might have lost his second best shield. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I wonder, Matt, if uh, the shield has a similar descriptor here as his hair when he is first introduced. Boromir would not consider himself properly dressed without his shield for the journey. Perhaps? Perhaps? Um, uh, yes. Andrew, that's really interesting. Um, Andrew says, is Boromir's attire a further sign that it should have been Faramir the ranger who took this journey? Um, uh, well, it's hard to feel like he wouldn't have been sort of better and more appropriately prepared for it in some ways, right? In physical and spiritual ways, perhaps. Um, but, um, yeah. And Almanrea, I really like that. Let's not just bash on Boromir here. Um, Boromir is... We talked about these descriptions, these things being elements of their identity, right? Um, the shield. That's also how he sees himself, right? Remember Gondor, bulwark of the West? Um, his job as the general of the armies of Minas Tirith is to be a shield, for all of the, you know, they are the shield. Um, they protect everyone, all the lands behind them from Mordor. Um, that's also part of his identity. And as Amarea was reminding us, um, uh, he's going in the end to die being a shield as well for Merry and Pippin. What he does there, what he does with Merry and Pippin is not like unusual or uncharacteristic um it's totally characteristic like that's who he is and so yeah he bears a shield of course he does of course he does um yeah yeah um yeah yeah um <laughs> okay more more on that later though more on that later. Um, but back to the Warhorn. He just starts talking about it. Loud and clear it sounds in the valleys of the hills, he said, and then let all the foes of Gondor flee. Putting it to his lips, he blew a blast, and the echoes leapt from rock to rock, and all that heard that voice in Rivendell sprang to their feet. Now, I assume we missed something here, right? Um, that is, you know, when when we're getting dialogue and, and it's not like we're getting everything that happens in the day, right? It's not like we're hearing everything and every incident. Uh, I mean, this isn't the Wheel of Time or something, right? So um, loud and clear, it sounds in the valleys of the hills. There, there probably was some kind of... Somebody asked him a question. Like it probably doesn't do, do the apropos of nothing, right? They're all standing there minding their own business, and then Boromir is like, "Loud and clear it sounds in the valleys of the hills," right? Like, and everyone's like, "Wait, wait, what? What are you talking about?" Like, I, I'm. There probably was something that brought it up. Is what I'm. Is, is what I'm saying, right? Um, but um, yeah, Blood the Inspire. I, I agree. Somebody must have said, "Hey, man, nice horn." Like that's pretty cool. Yeah, I something, some kind of some kind of uh, context there. 
Um, yeah, but um, uh, he responds by talking about the sound of the horn. Now, this is interesting. And I think to his credit, we were talking about the war horn and how essential that is to his identity, right? This is him. It is unique. The horn is unique, and it is a sign of his office, right? Of his position in society. He is the heir. He will be Lord of Minas Tirith someday. You can tell on account of he's carrying the horn, right? Um, but that's not what he talks about, right? Um, like This could be way worse. Boromir could be interrupting with, have I mentioned that this horn is, uh, did I tell you the story of this horn, right? And what it means that I'm carrying this horn, right? He's not just being an insufferable braggart or something like that, right? Um, he is, um, boasting about the horn. Like, he's praising the horn itself, but he's not praising himself through the horn, if you see what I mean. I think, and I think there's a really important difference there. Right, um, he admires the horn. Loud and clear, it sounds in the valleys of the hills. Have you heard my horn? This horn is amazing, right? Um, this horn is a big deal. I love this horn. Loud and clear, it sounds in the valleys of the hills. And then let all the foes of Gondor flee. He is again here, not even at the end. There, the first part of his statement is boasting about the horn, right? This horn is awesome, is what he says first. Loud and clear it sounds in the valleys of the hills. But the second half, and then let all the foes of Gondor flee, is a statement about, like, the future. And it's not even a prediction, right? He's not saying, and when I blow it, all the foes of Gondor run away, man, right? Like, that's not what he's saying. He's not bragging there. And then let all the foes of Gondor flee. And then they'd better run when I sound the horn. Right? So, yeah, Captain Moe was just, uh, was just observing that. Yeah, or else, says Dr. Benway. Right, right. And then let all the foes of Gondor flee or else. Why? Why? Well, what normally happens? When you when he when he when he blows the horn, what um, what's the point? You know what I mean, of the horn. Yeah, it, charge exactly. Like he's the general, right? Uh, it's not that the horn has magic powers exactly. It kind of does actually, as we learn later. But that's not what he's talking about here, right? Why should the foes of Gondor flee? Why would it be in the best interest of the foes of Gondor to flee when it? Uh, when loud and queer it sounds in the valleys of the hills? Because when he blows it, the armies of Gondor are coming after you, right? It's not about the horn, it's about the armies of Gondor and their allies, right? When Boromir blows the horn, that means he's saying everybody attack and he's the general and his blowing of that horn means let us set forth together and ride to victory, right? I mean, that's... Um, that's how it works, right? Then let all the foes of Gondor flee. This, I think, by the way, just to uh, glance back at the description again, 
this is the other thing that the Warhorn tells us about his identity, right? He is a captain to the bone. He is a captain, right? He is a great captain general. Um, but even though he's um, not, he doesn't have his army with him, right? Um, but Boromir, as he's going to s admit, he doesn't do stealth. He also apparently doesn't do s he doesn't do s solo adventures either, right? Um, oh, that's nice. Uh, Lupita says, "I would like to imagine that was what they told him when he was handed the horn." Uh, loud and clear it sounds in the valleys of the hills, and then let all the foes of Gondor flee. Um, Lupita, I love the idea that those are the words that Denethor uttered when he hands the horn, on the day that he hands the horn to Boromir. I don't know when, like, did, 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 did he have, like, a Gondorian bar mitzvah at the age of, uh, uh, at the age of 13 or something, and he's given the horn at that point or something? I don't know. But, um, uh, but, um, but yeah, like there must have been a ceremony. That, obviously, there was a ceremony, right? I feel like it goes without saying there was a ceremony where he was awake. They didn't just give it to him in the cradle or something. Um, there was a ceremony when he was officially given the sword. Um, <laughs> and I think, uh, yeah, maybe he got it when he slew his first orc. Right, like I said, when he was 13. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah, I, 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 for Thalys, I, that's exactly it. I, I totally think that he, it's, it sounds like Denethor, doesn't it? Um, and that he's quoting that now, like he, you know, when he's telling other people about it, he's using those same words. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing as Kurtzimus says, uh, Denethor probably gave Faramir a kazoo. Uh, I don't know what Faramir got, but I don't think it was quite as nice. Um, I don't think it was quite as bad as that, but I don't think it was quite as nice, uh, either. Um, Yes, and Blau the Inspirer, I agree. <laughs> Evil Usher Cannon opines that the kazoo would also make the, the enemies flee, perhaps. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah, Blau the Inspirer was saying that um, uh, Boromir, uh, he says he respects Boromir for this. I think he sees how depressed everyone is and he wants to inspire them. Um, there's a reason he's emphasizing. He's not just like, I don't think this is just like, oh, please nobody mention Boromir's horn. I don't think this is just Boromir being a boor, right? Being like embarrassing um, about his horn. Um, he has a reason why he's doing this. He is, he's sounding the charge, right? He is, uh, let us go forth boldly and in confident spirit. Let all the foes of Gondor flee. Um, this has always worked before, right? He usually gets a, I'm sure, a tolerably, a, a tolerably enthusiastic reaction when he blows the horn of Gondor upon setting out, right? Um, uh, raises everybody's spirits. So that, you know, seems like a good idea. And I can easily believe that that is a thing in Boromir's mind here. Um, and I also can respect him for that. Um, and it makes me think, um, Blood, of um, uh, it makes me think that uh, 
Oh, okay. There's several things that it makes me think. Um, it makes me think back first to the description. Oh, and I've got to... Oh, hang on, i got to go. I moved it all the way to the bottom of the list. Last week, right? Um, the description, right? It was a cold gray day near the end of December. The east wind was streaming through the bare branches. The east wind is never good. Was streaming through the bare branches of the trees and seething in the dark pines on the hills. Ragged clouds were hurrying overhead, dark and low. Remember how we were talking about the, the sounds and the sights and the darkness and the... Um, uh, the cheerless shadows, right? Um, uh, it's dark. It's cold. The pines are seething on the heights. Um, the east wind is blowing uh, through them. It's like there's this there's this oppression. You can see the the sort of enmity, right? Um, and Lapita, I think you're you're very right um, that the um, Boromir winding his horn is like in defiance of the east wind that is oppressing their spirits here. Um, and I agree that um, uh, uh, as Forth Dauntless was saying, raising everybody's spirits uh, to do spiritual war with the enemy is a pretty good idea. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. And um, uh, Vardendil is recalling the horns of Buckland uh, and the Nazgul, right? Um I mean, I don't think it's exactly true to say that, like, the horns drove them away, but kinda. I mean, there was a correlation. The horns blew, and they left. Now, you know, they were like, we're, we were totally leaving anyway, <laughs> right? <laughs> but nevertheless, like, uh, it's it uh, it's important. It's important. Um, and we have a lot of correlation between, like, horns always are a big deal. The blowing of horns is almost always a good thing. Right? I mean, the, the horn call of Buckland that we already saw, right? We will get, of course, the horns of the Rohirrim coming to Minas Tirith. We will get the horn of Helm Hammerhand, right, at Helm's Deep. Um, we will get Mary's horn in the Scouring of the Shire every time we get horns like that. It's um, a big deal. And a good deal. Usually. Right? Um, so, um, the question, why is Elrond such a stick in the mud? Um, well, that's a great question. I got a couple things here. First of all, I wonder... All that heard that voice in Rivendell sprang to their feet. Why? That's a really ambivalent statement, I think. A very ambivalent statement. On the one hand, we know that horns can and do have that effect on people. Right? Remember Sam hearing Mary's horn call. Right when he's riding off towards the Cotton's uh, farm at the end of the Return of the King, we know that like people get stirred when they hear horns. Right, so he blows the bus, and everybody in Rivendell jumps up. Right, what full of inspiration and like without even knowing it, they leap up as if to go and and uh, uh, follow the horn. Right, 
Um, it's, yeah, it's a call to arms. Yeah, exactly. Um, but as I say, I do think it's ambivalent, that last statement. seems to me ambivalent. Um, because I can just as easily imagine everybody in Rivendell springing to their feet and saying, what the heck? Like, what is that? Um, like, it's everybody in Rivendell knows this has been a big community project in Rivendell for several months now, all the spies and journeying and everything that's been going on, right? Everybody knows that this is a stealth mission, right? I, I mean, they've all been dedicating weeks to scouting out the enemy and securing the passages and making sure that they're not is spied and nobody can tell when and where they're leaving and there's a horn call right going on like what i mean obviously i mean do they even know that it's the good now like the horn call of gondor it's going to be i i do believe that it's going to have a positive effect on people i'm not totally trying to argue against that first reading but I've got to think that there are a few elvish voices um, calling out in chagrin as they're hearing this horn right um, uh, yeah <laughs> Matt also reminds us that Rivendell has been uh, is hidden and has been for millennia yeah um, we, we don't do that here, right? Um, can we not draw attention to the secret, uh, <laughs> the, the secret, the hidden valley of Rivendell, please? Like that's, um, yes, um, it's wildly inappropriate, wildly inappropriate, not a bad thing in itself. And I don't think that Boromir's motivation is a bad thing. And it's, but it is totally, utterly out of place. Now, now again, I'm not totally um, I'm not totally disagreeing with the other points. Again, like, I'm not trying to undermine that totally. That's why I'm saying this seems to me very ambivalent. Notice we're not told anything about what they thought or felt when they sprang to their feet. Notice how neutral it is? We were given merely the fact that everybody sprang to their feet. Are they springing to their feet in encouragement and inspiration, in alarm, in um, uh, annoyance, right? In outrage, in, uh, you know, uh, any number. No, I don't think they have a heavy brass accompaniment to the tra-la-la-la-la. I think they, they kind of keep that to a dull roar uh, when, they, when they do that. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I... I I'm sure there are some varieties of different people in Rivendell having different kinds of reaction, possibly even within particular people. There are probably some people who are like feeling strangely inspired at the same time that they're startled and, and uh, uh, a little bit upset. Um, so let's get to Elrond. Slow should you be to wind that horn again, Boromir until you stand once more on the borders of your land and dire need is on you. Slow should you be to wind that horn again. 
don't do that, Boromir. Don't do it again. Don't forget. Secret mission, Boromir. Stealth. Everything. They've been emphasizing and emphasizing. Everything relies on not being detected. Now, it's true that they know like, that, 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 that Sauron knows, or soon will, um, that the ring was brought to Rivendell, and he knows around where Rivendell is, right? Um, so that's not a secret. But, okay, the secret mission is setting forth today, right now, is not, like, they, that's exactly what they were trying to prevent. It's one of the reasons they waited this long. Um, yeah. Now, um, here's the other thing. And then let all the foes of Gondor flee? Again, uh, when do you blow the horn? Who blows the horn? Right? Uh, another element here. Boromir, you're, you're not leading this charge. Like, you're not riding into battle. And even if you see this as in some sense, like metaphorically or through some kind of metonymy riding into battle, right? Um, you're still not the captain general here, Boromir. You're a member of this company. Uh, but he's pretty far down the list. He's not even on the quest of the ring. He's going home, which happens to lie in the same direction as the journey of the quest for some time, right? Um, but um, you were invited to come along because you're going in the same direction. Now that's, you know. Anyway, the point is um, it's not appropriate. There's lots of ways in which this is not appropriate. I don't think it's wrong. I, I don't think it's evil of Boromir. I'm not saying it's bad. Essential. Really bad. But it's it's a bad look. Um, not only is it really a poor idea to blow a horn when setting out on a secret mission that you desperately hope they don't figure out or catch on to the enemy, um, but it's also, it makes me wonder if this could go badly down the road. Is there... Does Elrond foresee the possibility of dissension in the company here? Oh. Like, basically, is his internal... Elrond, is his internal response here something along the lines of Boromir's going to be a problem? Right? Um, uh, yeah. It is a failure to... Uh, a failure to understand the nature of the quest, Andrew. Yeah, he's, he's not... He's not charging... Um, off into battle. Um, and yeah, it, 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 as Matt says, in another bad parallel, Boromir is among the hunted, not the hunters. Yeah, and again, like, notice, Matt, how that works exactly the same way, right? On the one hand, like, good on Boromir for thinking that way, right? I shall not go for, like, I'm not gonna, like, be cowed and, and could, like, there's the east wind, right, and the dark clouds and the seething pines and everything, but you know what? I'm not intimidated. Yes, we're the hunted, Yes, we are the prey, and we have to try to be secret and stealthy and stuff and not let the hunters find us. But you know what? I'm the hunter here. 
right? There's something refreshing. I like that, right? What's not to like about that? And especially um, as Fort Thoughtless was emphasizing, I think very appropriately, that kind of attitude, that's a better attitude to have at the start of this journey than a fearful one, right? Um, a fearful and possibly despairing one. Um, but, um, but yeah, I... Um, I, it's, it doesn't mean that he's like bad. It doesn't mean that he's evil, but he's not doing it right. There's a lot that at, at the best, I would say, there's a lot he's not thinking through. There's a lot that he doesn't understand. And one of the things that he doesn't under, you know, he's gonna, he, he's gonna say, we'll come back to Elrond in a second. Maybe he's, his response Right to Elrond's advice, uh, I wouldn't be in a hurry to do that again, Boromir. Right, it's a really gentle rebuke. Right, um, Elrond could have been way, way, way harsher than that. Right, slow should you be to win Vadhorn again. Well, advice. Right, and Boromir says maybe. Okay, that's your response to Elrond. Right, thank you for your advice, Master Elrond. I shall heed it. No, no. Maybe, maybe you have a point. Maybe you don't, right? Whatever. I'll be the judge. <laughs> maybe is, I don't know. But always I have let my horn cry at setting forth. Yeah, I'm sure you have, Boromir. Um, what is his previous setting forth experience exactly? Normally he's setting forth at the head of an army. Right. Or maybe like on a patrol or, you know, like there, there are lots of reasons. I mean, he could even just be going out on a journey to, you know, like, hey, we're going to visit Dal Amroth or something. Who knows? But um, he's never set forth like this before, unless it were not even before. The only thing that's parallel is when he set off to leave right on his solo mission. But again, there, there was no secrecy involved. There no need for secrecy there. But even if there had been a percent, maybe they did want to be secret. But still, like, he's still the Captain General, right? And he would know that the people of Gondor watching him leave, um, even if it was only his dad, but it was probably more than his dad, right? The people of Gondor watching him leave would be uneasy, right? Oh, look, our Captain General is leaving. So what's he going to do? Blow the horn. Obviously, you're going to blow the horn, Right? Let all the foes of Gondor flee. Blowing his horn upon leaving Gondor would, would say, th think what that would communicate, right? Don't worry about me. Yes, I'm going off on myself, but this is like, I'm like a one-man cavalry charge over here, right? Uh, like, I'm going off, but I'm going off like an army, right? Let all the foes of Gondor flee before me. There's nothing to fear. Um, so that's a great message for him to send to his people. Right. Um, another thing that it would say to the people of Gondor when he left would have been uh, something on the lines of like, I'm going before you, but I'm still leading. I'm not leaving you. Right? I'm not leaving you behind. I'm not abandoning you. I'm just leading the charge in a different direction. Right. Um, so, yeah, this is this is how we're rolling. But don't worry. Let all the foes of Gondor flee. Um, this is all going to is all going to is all going to pan out. Right. I'm just doing a I'm just doing a, a you know very circuitous um, advance, right? 
Um, uh, all the, so you can see how it's easy to understand why every time he has set forth before, it would not only have been appropriate, it would have been excellent for him to let his horn cry at setting forth. But he seems to be completely, completely, there seems to me at the very least a kind of tone deafness on Boromir's part here. Do you see what I mean? But always I have let my horn cry at setting forth, and though here, though thereafter we may walk in the shadows, I will not go forth as a thief in the night. I will not. Right? Doesn't this sound a little grudging? You know, do you, do you see what I mean by that? Do you get the impression Boromir is not down with the stealth mission? Is there even reason to think on setting off here that Boromir could purpose to undermine the quest? Boromir doesn't want to send the ring to Mordor. He said that. At the, I mean, like, that's open. He doesn't think the ring should be sent to Mordor. He thinks the ring should be sent to Minas Tirith. Brought to Minas Tirith. Right? I don't think Boromir believes in the stealth mission. There's a sense in which I don't think he wants Boromir... I don't think he wants the the... It's not that he wants the mission to fail exactly, but do you see what I mean? It's, and it's hard, Tim. I I hear you. That um, I'm not trying to just beat up on Boromir. What I'm trying to emphasize is that I think that Boromir. I think his motives are good, even his motives for wanting to bring the ring to Minas Tirith are good. But I think that he knows. I think he knows what's best. I think that Boromir still believes that the council's plan, sending the ring with Frodo into Mordor, I think that Boromir still believes that's a bad plan. He doesn't believe in the stealth mission. He is anti-stealth mission. His, he's going along with the stealth mission grudgingly because he was outvoted, essentially, right? Um, I, um, and again, I'm not bashing on him by saying that. I, he was quite open about that. It fits very well with what he's going to say again later on. I don't see any reason to believe that at this moment, Boromir is like a complete convert to the stealth mission. That if you sat Boromir down at this moment, you know, gave him a few beers and got him talking, that he would say, yeah, you know, in my heart, what I think is best is that we send the ring to Mordor with Frodo. I don't think he would say that. I don't think he believes that, even now. I see no reason to think that he believes that, even now. And I also think he's, yes, 
he wants to encourage them. Yes, that's a good thing in itself. Yes, he does have a tradition of letting his horn cry at setting forth. But I also think he's not an idiot. And I think he knows full well that blowing his horn on setting out kind of undermines the whole stealth mission thing. And I think there's a little bit of protest there. I think there's an element of protest. Like, um, I will not go forth as a thief in the night. I refuse. I refuse. I'm going along with walking in the shadows. Kind of grudgingly, but I'm going along with it. But I will not set forth as a thief in the night. Um, no? Well, then why are we letting you come along on this mission for crying out loud? Like, that was the job. You know, everybody agreed except apparently you. Do you see what I mean? Um, there's, uh, and again, I don't think that, um, uh, I don't think that he is being bad here. Again, I think he has good motivations for what he's doing. But I think he has reservations, and I think he's, I was going to say he's voicing his reservations. He's doing a little more than voicing them here. Um, that's why this, the more I was thinking about this passage before our discussion here, the more, I mean, my subtitle here is Dissension in the Company, um, because I think the, the more this begins to seem, I never really saw this moment as a moment of foreshadowing in the way uh, that I've been seeing it as we uh, as we've been looking at it here, um, and uh, yeah, um, yeah, I do think that he is now. Uh, someone maybe fourth on this. I'm not, I, I don't remember was asking about um, uh, was asking about. Would Elrond let him go if Elrond sensed that he was, like, being this sort of, like, openly passive-aggressive, uh, passive right, in his, uh, uh, you know, following the, or, you know, I mean, like, it's, but I think there are a couple things there. First, what are they going to do? I mean, he's not in the company, but he's going their way. We're going to be like, Bornberg, we're going to hold you back for a day or two, give them a head start, and then we'll let you go. Like, um, I don't know that Aragorn, that, sorry, that Elrond, rather, has the, um, uh, I'm not sure he can do that. I'm not sure he can do that. Um, as Kurtzmas, yeah, Kurtzmas says, I think Elrond sees the die as cast. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think he does. I think he does. Um, I think that we know, for instance, Goadriel, we know for a fact that Goadriel is going to see the danger and she's going to let him go too. Right? Um, neither Elrond nor Goadriel is going to stop Boromir from going along with the company, even though I can't imagine that either one of them is, well, we know for a fact Goadriel is not unaware of... Boromir's danger, and I would be very surprised indeed if Elrond were completely... I was going to say, I'd be surprised if Elrond is, is deaf to this. So he might be deaf in one ear uh, for a minute or two uh, right now. Um, but um, uh, but he... 
I, I'd be very surprised if when the story of the fall of Boromir comes to his attention, I'd be surprised if Elrond were shocked. I, I, I can't imagine he'd be shocked. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, not even the wisest can see all ends. Exactly. I mean, of course, as it turns out, they're, neither one of them is going to be wrong. That is, sending Boromir on the journey is not a bad idea at all. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn out fine, in fact. Um, so, I don't, I, um, I don't think that that shows that uh, the fact that Elrond doesn't, you know, <laughs> call time out and, you know, uh, sit Boromir on the bench after this incident does not prove to me that I mean, I could easily imagine the company sends out Elrond goes back to his study and he's being there like, I don't know, man that Boromir guy's gonna be trouble I have a bad feeling about this, right I think it's very likely that he's thinking that um, but um, yeah, yeah uh, anyway um, okay um, Boromir giving Elrond some Isildur vibes. Yeah, he's seen this kind of thing before, right? Uh, this is not his first human captain um, at this point. And, uh, you know, Mr. Big, I hadn't really thought about that. Remember that, El that Elendil and Isildur set off from Rivendell to go to the, the, the Battle of the Last Alliance. And Elrond was there. Right. Um, is he also remembering the horns of Elendil and Isildur as they set out? Um, I, uh, I bet they did. I bet he remembers it. Right. That's really interesting. And again, talk about ambivalent. Right. It's not like being uh, remind you know reminding Elrond of Isildur. It's not just a bad thing. Isildur was awesome. In lots of ways, Isildur was awesome. But it's also ambivalent. <laughs> There's some bad in there, too, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, um, we didn't quite finish this slide, so we got through about, what, 0.6 slides today? Because we started this one last time and we didn't finish it today. Um, we need to come back to Elrond's prophecy. I skipped over that because I wanted to focus on Boromir's side of things. Um, but um, let's... Uh, we'll come back to that. So we'll start with this slide again next time to finish up Elrond's prophecy and the significance of that in this context. Maybe through that we can learn a little bit more about what Elrond is thinking and how he's responding in this moment. Um, but I better let you go. It's late. I'm, uh, I've gotten into bad habits. Poetry has undermined my, uh, my, the discipline I'd been attempting to build uh, with ending class on time. So I will, um, we'll, we'll, we'll stop our discussion here uh, and we'll come back, look at the prophecy, and then move on to the interrupted description of everybody's uh, arms and armor. So uh, thanks, everybody, for joining me tonight. Field trip time. Uh, so for those of you who can't join us, thank you and have a good week and I'll see you guys next week. And uh, to 
everybody else. We're going to head out to a f probably a brief field trip, but that's okay. Um, all right, there we go. All right, there we go. Excellent. Um, hey, Dr. Benway, glad you could join us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and Andrew, I think you, I uh, don't remember seeing you around either. So that's uh, it's great to be joined by folks here. Um, all right. Good evening. Druid's Fire is with me this evening. Uh, Valori couldn't evening. be with us yep. tonight. So I think uh, back to Mirabelle, back to our milestone mm -hmm. up in the up in the uh, party hall up in the top. Indeed so. The function hall. Okay. Party central with a nice filigree all over the walls. Yes. So yes. I'm still not sure that we're talking about grapes here. When I look at these designs on the wall, they look more like just crystals, like bits of, I don't know, lapis lazuli. Not grapes to me. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it's not like they're actual grapes. No, no, no. Well, I mean, of like, course, but I don't think of them as designed to be grapes either. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, so, well, then what? Like, they're not just... Like, kind of like there. not quite a mosaic. They're but in definitely bunches. No, but nah, look, they're in bunches. Look, they're in bunches. They're hanging in bunches. And there's and they're attached to the vine. Well, like near the vine. There's none that aren't near the vines. And they're all in bunches. Totally grapes. Okay. Totally grapes. Okay. I will truthfully, respectfully agree no. to disagree with you on that one, sir. You don't think so? Okay. Yeah. It's fine. If you could show me places where those blue stones are neither in bunches nor near one of the vines, if they were just placed in other random spots on the walls in like some kind of geometric or artistic pattern, I would totally believe it. Maybe but... we'll see next week uh, when the angle opens up tomorrow. Maybe. Maybe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Dora Strunk says, they're the worst grapes ever carved if they're grapes. Ouch! I, there are stitches, they're, they're like suggestive of grapes. They're not designed to be like, wow, I thought that was a grape. Like, I almost reached out and ate that. Like, it's not, I don't think it's meant well, to Well, no, be I wasn't suggesting anymore. that either. No, no, I know you weren't. I'm just saying, like, I don't think they have to be perfectly verisimilitudinous grapes in order to, uh, in order to, like, suggest fruitfulness and also wine um, by, uh, uh, by, sh by showing them up here. Um, oh, by the way, when is the, when is the new, when is the new region? Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow. Tomorrow morning. Okay, so I'll have to remember. So next week, if we can go uh, visit the things that are there, the yeah. new yeah, update yeah. is called Rangers and Ruins. Rangers and Ruins, huh? Mm-hmm. Not Rangers in Ruins. Rangers there may be that. I'm not going to spoil the story for you. Okay. No, but I mean, we know it's, you don't like it's, it's a conjunction, not a preposition in the exactly. In the title. Yeah, it's um, and. 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 Okay. 
Okay. Oh, hang on a second. Did we go down here? The other door? Because is this the other door? Or did I just get turned around? No, this is the same door. This is the normal door, right? And then this place over here is the no. This is the other door. Okay. So this is the one that we went down before, right? No. Uh, this is the I've one that heads across the. Okay, hang on. I guess I just have to go down and see where we are. Okay, so where is the river? Where am I? And what happened to me? Okay, so... Right. This is... Wait, this is... Because this is not the riverside. No, the river's down... Down this way. We no, it is. Go I down and around to get to the river. Okay. It's a long and winding road, as Paul McCartney would sing. Right, so... We come down here and we wind around this way. Mm-hmm. And that brings us down. Oh, I'm going walking in multiple directions at once. I better get on my horse. So I'm going to take forever. Uh, no reason to walk it. So we come down this way. I think I never. Right. And then we wind Y'all came up this way last time, I believe. Because then it's going to connect to that side road, which leads up. Okay. So there's the Ford. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is the one that goes up to the refreshment area. Yes. Okay, so we come from the river, from the ford, and we come to the first intersection, which is go swing down a left, and you can still take the steps mm -hmm. up, or you head down towards that bridge. Or you take the right, and then you come up here, and then here you have another turn. You can either take a left and go up to the refreshment stands, or you take a right and this loops you all around. And I, I don't think I went this way from here before. But right then it takes you all the way up mm -hmm. to the function hall at the top, which you can see very prominently, as we were noticing, when you're coming across the river. Right? So you'd come around this way. But then, what is this? Ooh. Ooh. Something else. The third instance yes okay so from here we can see the function hall up there and then the um you know the lovely stairs with the gazebos each of which has its own open bar as we were discussing last time mm -hmm. up to the gazebo pinnacle at the top for best sightseeing um the and best stargazing and probable stargazing though the dome would have to be open for that but that's okay but then the and that face is directly across from this very splendid looking place over here which has from here at least in the dark um all we can see is we can see a vaulted roof we see this enormous triptych opening right yes um, two statues in the door like doorway that's what we see um ab above and behind it we can see what looks like ruins of um maybe a vaulted ceiling i i don't think if we get closer i don't think we'll be able to see it but we've got a fancy approach uh a fancy approach with the pillars in the archway we've got this bigger pillar here which presumably was I would think a bigger archway right here but this is what's left of it um so we're getting Possibly. sort of 
fancier and fancier. Here's another one, right? Two more. So um, maybe this was not an archway. These maybe are hexagonal. Yeah. They're different from the little archway ones down there, the little round ones. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, we do have the torches, which obviously shows that this is used currently as well. Right, the 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 you know Noldor didn't leave the tiki torches set up. Um, yeah. Okay, so we're on almost the same uh, alt almost the same altitude as the function hall. Now. Mm -hmm. um, across the way, though, still way below the top gazebo over there. Um, but we still have further to go up. And now from here, we can see. Yes, there was an arch behind it. Um, again, I'm trying. I'm looking. I mean, obviously, we see the doorway, and we'll we'll take some time looking at the doorway. But I'm trying to see the building, like what? Because this this opening is so striking, right? Um, that it's like from the especially at in the dark. It's all you can see. It's like doorway, doorway on a hill is what you see. Uh, from down at the bottom. Um, I can see that in the sun we would be able to see more. There were these pillars off on the side, and it's... Um, it yeah, you can kind of see a little bit more pictures. if you go down to the crook in the path. What, down there? Yeah. From, from the last crook? Oh, so you can kind of, you can kind you of see the side of the building. The I mean, the tree is obviously in the way. Yeah. Tree is definitely in the way. Um, well, let me see if I can get up there from up by the door. So, but but you're right. I see the side walls here, and the the um, it definitely would have been, and and it's partly ruinous. I mean, it, it had more of a top to it. So yes, it does show that in you know when it was just you know when it was back in the old days it would have been a much more prominent building. The building as a whole There's... and not just the doorway. But still, this doorway is still a flashy piece. No matter what. Here. And... You can get a little oh, bit of sense of the side of the building. Right. How fast... Mm -hmm. Look at the... Look who it is. Look at the statue. Yes. The statue is Gilgalad. Mm-hmm. I was totally ready, like, from the bottom when I saw that there were statues, I was totally ready for this to be Celebrimbor, of course. Yeah, one would expect that, but this is... The only thing that's missing is the stars on the shield. And I think we can see where they were. I think he yeah, did have it looks like they, on the shield. Yeah. Probably, uh, if there was, like, inset metal, the metal would have been scavenged. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, I mean, he's got the crown, he's got his spear... Uh, and he has his shield. We know where which, that spear is. Yeah, absolutely. We've got Iglus, his his spear, um, the icicle spear. Um, so you know you've got the the jaggedy spearhead to it, um, sort of suggesting icicle, right? Love that. Um, is the crown damaged, or the, is it naturally looking like them compared to the other one? Yeah, I think it's. I, I, I my guess is going to be that is natural. It looks like it was made that way. Yeah, I think so. Bet you the other one is the same. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. But I agree, it does look almost like it's uh, just missing bits. 
that's, that's the headpiece is that you know going up behind him and then coming down around the front is vaguely pharaonic. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The 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 pharaoh like thing. Mm-hmm. Going on. We saw. Where do we see that? We saw that on a, on another elf statue, didn't we? I think so. Maybe the ones one of the ones uh, in near Kellendom. Yeah, yeah. Clearly elf ears, obviously. Uh-huh. They're definitely pointy. Right, obviously beardless as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Didn't we see... I have a feeling like we first saw the pharaoh look. Like an Enidwaith. No, we haven't been to Enidwaith yet, have we? No, we haven't. Maybe I'm remembering from Grifflet in Enidwaith. But, um... Uh, you might be thinking yeah. one of the Gondorian ruins in Enidwaith? Um, Those would have been the ship kings. You know, that king statue, like, why is this dude holding his, his uh, sword out? Or his staff out horizontally? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Alright, well... Two statues of the king looking very kingly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, out from this angle, you can see the... Right, the whole pharaonic thing um, goes up above his crown. Yeah, it does. I mean, pointy... it's definitely yeah. not the same, but that was the first thing I saw with the things draping around his neck. But mm-hmm. it reminds me of something else from Doctor Who, but I'm not going to... Go into details about that. The sash of Rassilon. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say it reminds you of Tom Baker's scarf, but... Um... No, no, no. Uh, actually, Tom <laughs> Baker wore the sash of Rassilon, but it yeah, kind of yeah. reminds me no, of that. I remember the sash of Rassilon. Um, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Huh. I'm also equally fascinated, Dolor Shook, about the circle pattern above the door, because I don't think we've seen something like that before. Yeah, so... It's not a ring! No, it's not. So, yeah, let's look at the door. Hang on, i got to make sure I don't accidentally run off a cliff here while I'm trying to get an advantage. No, that's my job. Um, okay. So, first thing. Wings, right? The doors themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would buy that. Feathered wings, like the two wings next to each More other? More pharaonic. Um, why... Why? Why wings? Now, wings, swan wings, are associated with... Um, you know, we're associated with, like, a... a Two war? Dol Amroth. Yeah, Dol Amroth for sure. Um, but that's later and unrelated, presumably. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm thinking back to First Age stuff because this was built yeah. by First Age dudes, you know, in the Second Age, but by First Age dudes. And, well, um, the sw- there, there are some swans I, I'm trying to recall um, related to Amroth, possibly. Something yeah. to do with Lorien or El. Right, but that's later. That that would be later than this. Lorien isn't necessarily mm-hmm. even. Well, I mean, Sylvan elves would have presumably been there already. But, um, but when this was built, it's, Goadriel isn't even necessarily there. 
Um, but um, anyway, I, Tuor was associated with swans, and so like swans, the swan wing is kind of a gondolin thing in that way, and an Arendel thing. But um, uh, but would it be swan wings specifically? Could it be other kind of wings? It's possible, but I don't know what. If so, I, I can't figure it, it either. And in any case, there's um. In any case, it's um. It predates Gondor, so it has nothing to do with anything Gondorian, like the um, the Dal Amroth thing, even Definitely. the the winged crown of um, of of Gondor. All of those wings are um, way after this. So. Amarius suggests seabirds in general, but I'm not sure that would necessarily make sense here because there isn't like seabirds in this vicinity. This is fairly landlocked. It is. But, but, okay, see, I, I think the biggest problem I'm having is that I'm having a problem with the idea of Celebrimbor himself, like Celebrimbor the Feanorian. Mm-hmm. Having wings as a symbol like that because he's, I mean, look, if anything, swan wings, it's a bad look for a Feanorian, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. the swan ships and the burning of the exactly. ships, like it's still kind of too soon for swan wings, you know, for Feanorians. So that's the, I think that's the heart of the issue that I'm having is that it seems weird for Celebrimbor to be like, you know what I want my doors? I want my doors to suit, to like be swan wings and i keep coming back to swans not only because swan wings were in fact um you know part of the heraldry of the high elves but also because they're big you know i mean that seems really simple but like Mm -hmm. these are huge doors it's not going to be like we're going to do like swallow wings except ginormous right like you eagle's wings yes swan wings yes. yeah the eagles i could see it bird you know um but uh um yeah, I could see it being an homage to the to the great eagles, absolutely. Yeah, um, but we're not but too far the from thing. the misties. Here's the other thing, though. We're not. Um, yes, this was built by the Feanorians, but that isn't Celebrimbor. That's Gilgalad. Gilgalad on both sides, right? So. Maybe this place is not. And so the evidence would say, but from the Gilgalad statues, the evidence, I mean, it would be one thing if you had like one statue of Celebrimbor and the other statue of Gilgalad. That would be a nod to the High King, right? Like yeah, that, absolutely. That, that would be a shout out to the High King, which would be perfectly appropriate. But this is more than a shout out. We've got Gilgo out on both sides, right? I mean, this is his place. This is his either place. made exactly for him or one hundred percent about him. Exactly like what homage. it looks like. And so that's the other. I think the swan wings might perhaps fit better in that way. Gilgo would it would be more natural to associate him not only because he is in fact from the sea and from the coast and and uh the whole like bay of balar days of gilgalad and everything else um i can much more easily see associating swan wings with gilgalad not really with Celebrimbor. bricktail says what about Celebrimbor the teleri uh no 
first of all, Celebrimbor the Teleri lasted about two sentences, and secondly, um, they were two like unpublished sentences until last September, so I, I don't think so. Um, but um, uh, yeah, and Stun Duck, you're right, Galadriel has the swan ships working right on her. Uh, you know, she's it's not too soon for Galadriel, she's over it, right? Um, but uh, well, what ties uh, would be for with Galadriel and Celebrimbor though? Well, I mean, other than the fact that they're both Noldor, well, and, yeah. you know, what are they, first cousins once removed? No. First, yes. Yes. Yes, Galadriel and Kurufi, yeah, first cousins once removed. Um, but, and Almeria, you're right. I mean, she, the swan ships, I mean, she's the daughter of the princess of the Teleri, right? So, um, much easier to see her and she didn't set fire to the swan ships either, you know, um, even if she was still held culpable for the kinslaying. So um, anyway, you know, it's um, it's it's easier to see Galadriel. And then she marries a Teleri as well. Right. So, you know, like Galadriel's over it. <laughs> Galadriel's moved on and it's it's everything's fine. Um Celebrimbor, though, I mean, Feanorian, he was presumably there at the burning of the ships. Um, but um, I can't remember. Do we ever learn where Celebrimbor was born? I don't remember. If there's any, like if he was born in Middle-earth or, or in Amman. I've always kind of assumed he was born in Amman, but I don't know that for sure. I can't think of where that's said for sure. Anyway, um, okay. But anyway, back to the main point, which is this seems to be Celebrimbor's place. Or sorry, Gilgalad's place. Celebrimbor seems to have made this not for himself, not thinking of himself. This is a Noldoran thing, a broadly Noldoran thing, which therefore seems deliberately to showcase iconography which is not his own, not Feanorian, explicitly. Um... Yeah. So Gilgalad lived in Linden and had his big kingdom there, had the Grey Havens and whatnot. They would have had seabirds there. And yeah, exactly. Presumably that That's that it. would be a, a connection I could see for sure. Sure. Yeah. No, it would make sense. It would make sense. In fact, like I would, I would say, if we were in Linden itself, hey, hey, Standing Stone people, you know what would be really fun? Linden. Yeah, that would be good. I know. It may or may not be on their drawing boards. I know. I well, but I know they're also kind of avoiding it because, like, the closer we get to the Grey Havens, like, it's ominous mm -hmm. to get too close to the Grey Havens. You know, like, we don't want to go there. I get it. Um, Besides, we all think we're going south next anyway. Well, exactly. Why should we? We're not ready for the Havens. Is any Lotro player ready for the Grey Havens? Really? I don't. I don't. I don't. Well, I think that. Hobbits want to get get the self farthing in and whatnot, but I think most of us are just like let's let's ride this horse as long as it will exactly. walk. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. Um, but nevertheless, if we were to get Linden and any Lin Linden ruins, I would not be surprised there to see doors like this. It was only here in the sort of Feanorian context of Celebrimbor City that I was a little surprised to see that. Um, but again, this would that would suggest that um, this is a deliberate... Like, he's not doing things in his own chosen style. He's doing things... This is like a a broader Noldorin uh, thing here, um, 
Exactly. This is so much Gilgalad signage, Almorea. I think that's exactly right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, as far as that, the, the ring above the door, I agree it's not a ring per se, is it? It doesn't look like a ring to me. Point. When I first glanced at it, I was, I was thinking of the symbol uh, for Ouroboros. But I'm like, wait a minute, that's not it. I'm just going to make sure. Honestly, it looks like it fits more in place with like some sort of cameo or something from the Regency period in real life. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is a complete circle. You back up enough, mm -hmm. you can see it is a complete circle. From where it's I was, I couldn't tell if it was. But it it's does not a ring. 100%. It is, it is like, yeah, because it's got... It's got a thing at the top and the bottom. It's not like a setting at the top there that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it looks more like a round picture frame or like a wreath, as Drowsnake says. I agree with that. Um, it's not Christmas time. No, exactly. It's not Christmas time. I don't recall seeing a design like this anywhere in any Elf Ruins anywhere else in game, though. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean... Uh, I will say the obvious. It might not be an actual representation of a ring. But no, I, I don't think it's round. a ring at all. No. Well, I mean, it is a ring. I mean, in the sense that it's a, a round thing. Like well, it's, it's not with a capital R. No, exactly. It's it's not a representation. It's not like, I'm going to like look down at my hand and depict it. Like, he's not depicting one of the rings of power. But I mean... It is a round thing, and there's no evidence of anything having been in the middle of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like, yeah. There's no, there's not been like a picture that fell out or anything. Uh, I'm very not. curious to what's on the side of it, and you know what's on top and bottom. But of course, we don't have the magic admin camera that our yeah. community manager has to be able to go up there and take a look at it. True. Maybe I'll ask him tomorrow to do that for us. Get we have it. to. We have to yeah. look from here. But it does look symmetrical. It does look like it's it's uh, got mm -hmm. some horizontal symmetry there. Um, I'm not sure if it's like a, a a flower on either side or a stalk of wheat or looks stars. Like right. Yeah. It kind it of. It does looks look like there's a like a, a flower on either side. It looks like it's on a stalk, whatever it is. The little bulb things. On yeah, the top that's what I'm seeing as well. Yeah. And there's like leaves yeah. off to the little side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the design on the top and the design on the bottom are not exactly the same. It's not like in reverse. I think they're pretty close. But, well, they're similar, but there's there's like there's a, like a, a triangular divot like for a forehead if you're looking at the one at the bottom. But yeah, definitely different. Okay. Um. Okay, right now I see what you mean. It really, it almost looks like, as you said, a cameo. It looks like a frame. It looks like a round picture frame. Yeah, no, right, okay. Yeah, so it's not quite symmetrical, but it does have, like, you could definitely tell if, this, if, if that thing got put on upside down. It would look upside down if it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huh. The thing I'm curious about is what these little um, these little things are uh, flanking either side of the door. They kind of look like pieces of polished stone on a little like pedestal. The, the, the pine cones? Yeah, and there's one on the top of the arch behind the door uh, the peak, that right the uh, ring is on. Way at the top. Do you, 
think set behind the torches, they're like faux torches. It's supposed to represent hmm. like a flame. Possibly. Yeah, tongues of flame, Amaria. That's just what I'm thinking. It's just what I'm thinking. Especially um, since this is well, it's a northeastern door, so it wouldn't get the the rays of the sun or the. Can we go in? The... I mean, no, I can't. It's okay. No, it's Wait. an instance. It's 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 a quest bound instance. It's the school of Fan Mardane. Yeah. I think I've been in there ages ago. I know I've been in there ages ago, but even in the ones across the pond, across the river, for sure. I'm not sure about this one. Okay, but it's not quest locked, right? No, it's just we're in a raid, and it's a, a, a three-man right? smaller instance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I might want to peek in next time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But uh, we should go anyway. It's super late. Um, it is okay. indeed. So. That's really, and from the level of the door, we look back across, and yet we're higher than the function hall. Mm-hmm. About the level Maybe of, halfway uh, up the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Got that gazebo. Maybe about that tree. Maybe a little bit. The tree. Yeah. The gazebo to the left of the tree. Right, yeah. Right around that. Yeah, probably a little bit below the one to the right. So, yeah. Yeah, probably the tree. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So it's very prominent. It's not the highest point, but you know, we're only getting gazebos on mm-hmm. that peak over there. This is the highest, fanciest building. I mean, so far, you're looking at this city from a distance. This is what you're seeing, right? I right. Mean, you might notice the gazebos, but the the function hall is actually kind of concealed. I mean, it, it looks nice. You can see it really well from the Ford right there when you cross, right? But like from a distance... Um, this building is going to be the one that you're going to see more. So it, it has, this is the most prominent structure that we have found yet in the city. Yeah, this is more of a serious function, whereas we got, you know, the fraternity across the way, since we're using yeah, exactly. College Party Town as our this, metaphor. Yeah, this does not look like, this does not This look is the like school library. Party. That's yeah. the, the fraternity yeah. party hall. You've the got football the football stadium. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's definitely um, uh, a, a, a serious building, not um, not just a party hall. All right. Well, we should let people go. Uh, good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you, Druid's Fire, for uh, You're welcome. Uh, filling in here this week. And uh, we will see everybody be back again next week. Have a good night, everybody. Bye now. Bye.